Welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat podcast. Hello, Tobias Fausch. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Um, I'm actually looking uh, forward to our conversation because um, you are CIO at uh, Baiva and uh, Baiva is actually quite an interesting company and is active in a lot of verticals which we did not really have represented on our podcast so far. So that's why I'm really looking forward to this uh, conversation. Um, but uh, first and foremost, as always, we uh, give the stage to our guest, and uh, therefore the first question of the day is obviously um, towards you. Um, who who are you? Where are you coming from? To kind of paint a picture for our audience on um, who you are as a person, what the different stages were in your professional life, and basically how you came about to um, yeah being the CIO at uh, at this company. Okay, thanks. Um, well, first of all, I think this is a pretty long story. Uh, basically, it started uh, with me studying physics. So I did my thesis in experimental physics. I was chasing neutrinos. Uh, from there, I went to the US for a year. I worked in a couple of companies. Um, and then because of the situation, I actually switched into uh, becoming a consultant for data warehousing. So that was my first contact with IT. The connection to physics still is that in data warehouses you talk about multidimensional um, cubes and, and analysis. Um, it's not truly multidimensional, but at least it's not something which is uncommon in physics. And so working uh, with that, um, I then moved on because of private uh, developments uh, to have a constant position in Munich. And for that company I worked for 18 years. So I worked in IT, I worked in controlling and I also worked in internal audit and especially internal audit was interesting because it gave me a wide view on different functions in a large company. Um, and then after 18 years, I decided I'm grown up. I can chase a new position and then I ended up more or less by chance in Baiva, where I started at the IT daughter company, which was then called RI Solution. And that company basically does anything that is in <clears throat> needed and required to run uh, the operations of a large company. So we start with infrastructure, network, um, applications, and, and uh, office, workplace, so the whole lot. Okay, uh, perfect. Um, I mean, let's, I think the first, the, first, uh, the first thing which we need to clear up is, I guess, um, what is Baiva standing for? So in what industries is Baiva active as a company? What is kind of the business, the core business of Baiva to, to get an understanding of where the comp company is operating at? Well, I think Baiva is quite a complex company because we have four major topics we deal with. Uh, we have renewable energies, we have building materials, we have agriculture, we have global produce, um, and we have technical equipment for farming. So uh, all these different areas play a role and um, each and every of them has their own distinct business models. So all that uh, growing externally by purchasing other companies uh, in itself is a pretty complex structure. Okay, and um, so you as a CIO um, obviously are uh, responsible for kind of, as you already said, I mean, um, you know, keeping up, uh, keeping up the infrastructure, you know, anything that is related basically to, you know, from, from, an, uh, from an IT perspective, obviously to deliver that. But uh, let's, let's get a better understanding of, you know, uh, I mean, we've, we've had already uh, a couple of CIOs as well as chief digital officers at uh, our show. And um, 
kind of to get a better understanding of, let's say, of your organization. So basically of your uh, IT organization, what are, let's say, the different different parts that make up uh, that make up the organization and which you are responsible for? Well, essentially, if you look at the systems that we have, we have the workplace, we have our core ERP systems, um, we have infrastructure and we have supporting processes. So these are the main blocks uh, we deal with and we also deal with new business models um, and which are digitally driven business models. Um, uh, but if you look at what we actually do, I, I often like to compare uh, IT to a building and that building has a fundament. Uh, you have uh, infrastructure because sooner or later, even if it's in the cloud, there's some physical hardware or your applications run on. If you go a little further, if you want to have different systems to communicate, they need master data. So master data also is part of the uh, foundations of any IT system. That's true for each and every company. Next you have, because we are uh, essentially a trading company, um, we have a lot to do with logistics. Therefore, supply chain for us is a very um, important topic. We also have classical ERP systems. We use SAP, we're heavy SAP users still using R3 in most applications. Um, and for each and every employee, we need to have a laptop, we need to have a computer, a phone, and so on. So we have the digital workplace. That's all part of, of what everyone needs, and, and that's not spectacular. Um, but on top of that, um, you start to build specifics which are unique to our business. And this is where the actual business models come in. And if you look at these, you see all the new uh, wordings, buzzwords that are around um, like blockchain, like um, AR, VR, uh, all these, these uh, things, but also um, artificial intelligence and analytics get more and more important because what we see is if you look at the traditional business models, especially in trading, it was shifting goods from location A to location B. That's not enough anymore. Um, essentially, you have much more uh, internet connections, you have portals, you have um, single sign-on solutions. Um, people want to get in touch with you. If you look at the typical customer journey, they want to get in touch with you wherever and however they want to. So they can look at your website while being in the store. They can look up uh, your postings in LinkedIn, in Facebook, in wherever. And uh, so it gets much more challenging for such a um, complex structure that we have to collect all that data to be sure that we understand who the customer is um, and therefore to serve him in a way that he expects it. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And um, I think the, the, the metaphor that you just used in regards to, you know, uh, comparing it to a building, I think that's quite, 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 quite a good one because it, it gives you it gives you the picture or the understanding of how complex it actually becomes to managing, let's say, you know, the different systems, the different legacy systems that you have. And then basically on top of that, the business requirements and the new things that are coming in, you know, and, and the change. And I think that's a really, really good one. Well, I think that uh, picture can even be taken a little further than that. Any building is built partly in the ground or most buildings are partly in the ground and above ground. Now, if you say ground level is from where on, if you go higher, management attention is there. Anything below the ground is kind of, well, that's understood that we have it. 
Now, if you look at today's systems, infrastructure, master data, ERP systems, uh, a workplace is kind of a given. No one expects that to be something spectacular unless you have a coronavirus telling you that's not really true. <laughs> no, but if you want to have management attention, you need something that is interesting. Right. And so you need to have something which is above ground. And yeah. uh, over time, what you can see is kind of 20 years ago when our SAP system was, was um, installed, having an SAP system was key and having a business warehouse was like top, top notch technology. Yeah. Uh, no one talks about business warehouse today. So that house is kind of sinking in, it gets lower and lower. And on top, you get new stories with new technologies, like the ones I mentioned before, AI uh, and so on. Yeah. Now, so you have a house which is slowly sinking into the ground, but all the parts below are still needed. They're just not visible anymore because they're expected to be there anyway. That's one of the parts I like about that picture. The second one is if you talk to anyone and say, well, I have a really nice roof. It's really, it's got such a beautiful shape and all that. And I want to build it 10 meters high. Everyone will ask you, well, what's this construction below? So if you look at a physical house, it's very easy to understand that a roof does not exist without anything below. Yeah. Now in IT, the expectation now and again seems to be that you can build a blockchain solution, that you can build anything really new out of nothing, out of nowhere. Yeah. And that also doesn't work because all the rest below is also required. Right. And the third example where I think that building uh, um, uh, comparison makes sense is uh, IT is developing really fast. It's developing fast, Moore's law and so on. So um, if you look at the construction of the house, half a year ago, it looked different than it looks today. Now it depends on whether you are fast enough to really keep up with that pace. So that house is never finished. It kind of develops over time. And if you would be able to draw that house in a year's time, it would look completely different. Yeah. Now in a large corporation like us, uh, you cannot move systems that quickly. Right. And that in itself is a challenge. How, how can you set up systems which are long lasting, some of them 10 years plus, uh, which makes sense today, but will still, which will still make sense tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it gets it, it gets better and better, uh, and I think that ultimately points out that the challenge, right, that that you as a CIO as well have is kind of especially how do you balance from let's say you know if if we take if we go back like twenty years or so, right? I mean the 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 let's say the role of IT of classical IT, right, was completely different as it is from today. And what I really like about you saying is that you know the. The things that are, let's say, you know, uh, on the bottom, those are the ones that we take, but which still, you know, which are ultimately the fundament and which need to, you know, keep going. And they are difficulty because they take long times and let's say to switch them, right, to update them to, let's say, a, a current sta standard and technology. I mean, uh, the, the best the best examples are, let's say, transformations from, let's say, on-premise to the cloud, for example. But, you know, and, and to have that and manage that, but at the same time now, as the role has changed of IT basically to be more of an, an, an innovation driver and to support, let's say, you know, the fast changes which are happening more or less on the top, right? The new technologies that are coming in, the, the new solutions that are being built and stuff, right? Um, that's, that's more or less the challenge, right? That, that, that's a real challenge. And, and I think you point that out correctly. Um, having the foundation is key. Now, the foundation was formed like 20 years ago, 10 years ago. 
in IT, that's old. Yeah. Um, and, and therefore, at that time, you could not foresee the requirements we have as of today. Um, and therefore, at that time, things were done differently. And it was a lot easier at that time to say, well, I change and modify my system because I just need it. But that turns out, if you again uh, go back to Moore's law, if you have the speed that we have, uh, the computing power uh, doubles every two years, which means that you get new applications, you get new opportunities. AI would not have worked uh, 15 years ago just because the uh, computers were too slow. The algorithms haven't changed, the log uh, statistics haven't changed, but now they have the computing power to actually make it work. Um, and now if you haven't anticipated that and you wrote your own programs, but the software that you can buy develops, uh, it gets more and more expensive if you want to keep up. So sooner or later you have to decide, do I drop my old system, which has been specifically designed by us for ourselves and go to a more standard software, which now has functionality I couldn't dream of 10 years ago. And yeah. what will happen if I start again, modifying it to keep up with my current business. So you always have a decision on how much standard do I want to use and where do I want to deviate from that? Because in the long run, uh, if you look back 10 years, you would say, well, at that time, everything was slow and very convenient. Yeah. In today's world, it's fast. Now think 10 years ahead. In 10 years, you will say 2020 was relaxed. So <laughs> with that uh, in mind, we, we need to really take care that when we change a system today, we make it future proof. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, we will not be able to come up with new business models in future. Yeah, 100%. And then ultimately, what I also liked about you pointing it out is like with the you know, with the with the information or ultimately the data that is being produced inside of an organization, right? Which is like master data, right? And then also, you know, just data that is, let's say, necessary for the operations of the company, right? I mean, uh, talk sales data, um, su um, supply chain, whatever that is, right? Uh, those things are in, you know, these things are in the let's say, sort of say, legacy systems, right? Which uh, in, 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 the, in, in, the, in the lower bottom. And the, and the funny thing is, even if you want to create a new business model, right? If you want to use a, um, you know, a new technology, whatever, and you build a product, which, you know, more or less you can use a, 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 new, uh, a new infrastructure for, let's say, the way you collect data, for example, through sensor or whatever, right? You mm -hmm. still, you will still be, let's say, relying on data from the operation, so from inside of the company, and to some sort of degree. Like even if you, like to 90%, you will be, let's say, building up your complete new infrastructure for whatever service or, let's say, um, um, platform you're building, right? You, there still be a portion of information which will, like, be in the in the in, in, in the in the older infrastructure, which will, you will be necessary to access, right? And and. So there's multiple systems. There's not always, let's say, brand new systems, right? And I, I think the perfect example, I had this funny conversation with someone as well, who said like, yeah, people always think, like if people talk about Google, they still think that Google is kind of a startup, but the thing is Google is not a startup. Google is also already 20 years old. And you know, they also have really, really old systems and you know, code which has been written 20 years ago, which takes also a lot of time to, let's say, you know, ma maintain it, right? And, and to keep it up to date with the new infrastructure that it's adding. So it's a very, very interesting actually uh, overview. Yes, that, that, that's true. And, and I think um, what pretty often uh, comes up with that discussion is everything needs to be agile because we're quick. Yeah. Now, if you think of a classical ERP system, you have anywhere from 1,000 to 6,000 processes that you need to do. 
if you do that agile, you don't get anywhere. I mean, there's just a list. It doesn't help you if you are agile and say, well, now I can display my product on the internet, or I have a pricing, or I can deliver it. Because just one of the things doesn't do it. Yeah. Delivering a product if you don't know why, if you don't have a price, uh, if you don't, uh, if you cannot write an invoice, doesn't buy you anything. So if you want to go into these backbone systems, typically you have lots of processes which just need to be there. And therefore the old waterfall model really does make sense because you, you have a list of tasks which need to be there and done. Um, you can still do it differently than in the past in a sense of you get back and discuss with uh, your um, user much faster whether the solution as is makes sense to him. Mm. Because this type of feedback is what is required to optimize that. And you can do that uh, in bits and pieces. So uh, I, I sometimes talk about the agile waterfall internally, <laughs> because I, I think even though you have a program, you can be quicker in, in getting response from, from your users. Yeah, so maybe to kind of finalize this, uh, this, this, this topic, um, so how do you manage basically how, so maybe some of the things that you uh, from from your strategy basically in regards to really let's say the fundamentals, right so the the, the the infrastructure so how do you let's plan or you know really let's say think on, on future proof um, infrastructure that you need for for Viva in regards to all the things that you see right now and as well with the let's say look into the future right what, what is it that we might need in the future how do you plan that according to, let's say, what you have now, right? And and what you might need, like to do, to have these longer switching and and let's say migration cycles. Well, in, in that case, I, I would like to go back basically to that building, mm -hmm. uh, that house that that I uh, mentioned before. You need to look at it holistic. So okay. for me, there's no sense in saying we have a cloud-only strategy mm -hmm. because that in itself is no value at all. Uh, give our current system, you wouldn't even be able to maintain that in the cloud. It doesn't work. Um, and, and therefore, this is not an option for the time being. But case by case, we're still always looking whether the cloud makes sense, yes or no. Now, that's infrastructure. Master data, that's, I think, the only really universal issue that each and every company has um, because no system can communicate with any other system unless you have standardized and high quality master data. So, Looking at the future where we say, or my uh, uh, expectation is that things will get more complex, but nevertheless, you will have to be quicker. Now, if you want to manage complexity and you want to increase speed, which sounds like a contradiction, uh, I think the only way to get that managed is by having standards. Right. If you have standards like building blocks, applications that can be considered as building blocks, which you can hook up and connect because they have the same set of master data, they have some common structure, um, and, and that will enable to put in these blocks or take them out of, of your systems uh, more quickly. And that's how I think you can handle complexity in, in, in the future. And uh, if you want to set that up, what you need is an architecture, you need to have an IT strategy, you need to have an idea and understanding of where the business models develop into, because otherwise you cannot cater for that. As, as we said, infrastructure, master data, core systems are relatively slow. They last relatively long, but also the processes which work there don't change that quickly. The more you go towards the user, the more you go towards 
current uh, business models, the more flexible you need to become. Yeah. So let's let's talk then about uh, potential, let's say, you know, changes within business models or things that you see up and coming and as well, let's say, you know, things that come in from, let's say, more or less prototypes and, and, and small use cases that you start off because you mentioned already a couple of, you know, these these uh, technologies. Um, so maybe give us some examples of the things that, that you know, that are currently already happening uh, at, um, at, at, at Viva and where you see, let's say, kind of, you know, your industry or these, let's say, more or less four different um, uh, parts basically move towards. Let me focus on agriculture for that example, because I think this is a very good example. Yeah. Um, in agriculture, you produce whatever. You produce wheat or, or soy or maize or corn, whatever. Just, just it's your product. Um, and that needs to grow. Therefore, if you want to plant your seeds, you would need to know which type of seeds you need. Which type of seeds depends on what you want to grow. It depends on the soil you have. It depends on the climate. Yeah. Now, uh, it does not make sense to try to harvest anything if you haven't sown anything. Mm -hmm. You don't have to use uh, um, fertilizer if there's nothing that you grow. So there's a clear process. And a clear process is something that usually makes sense in IT. A clear process is helpful. You have additional parameters, climate being the easiest one, but also the most important. Um, so this is a model where you have a clear process on how things develop, um, but this hasn't uh, gets influenced by other parameters like climate. Mm -hmm. And again, this is something you can pretty much handle with IT. And in that sense, for me, very general, um, if you see agricultural production as a process, it is a process that can be very well supported by digital solutions. Let me make that a little more clear. Um, today we have satellites taking picture of the ground. You can have 10 by 10 uh, uh, meter sized pictures of basically any uh, location on Earth. So if you take um, the fields that you have, take a satellite picture um, and you create models. With these models you can uh, check where are the plants growing well, where aren't they growing well? Where is it wet? Where isn't it wet? Now, if I know where the plants are growing well or not, then I can tell the people, this is where you should take a soil sample. So given a 10 by 10 meter resolution, I can tell the farmer, in these places, you should take a soil sample. With that, I can figure out what type of fertilizer would be needed for which type of seed. Again, something a satellite helps you to optimize your crop. Now, if you understand what the farmer actually wants to grow, whether he wants to have high quality, whether he wants to have high volume, uh, whatever his requirements are, you can kind of uh, recommend the type of seed that is needed. Yeah. Then you again take satellite pictures. What we have developed in one of our companies is a growth model of plants. Mm -hmm. So we can calculate how the plant will grow above ground, but also below ground. So how the roots are developing. Yeah. If you take that and combine that with the water supplies that you have, if you combine that with weather, you can suggest to a farmer when to uh, um, water the plants. And if you do that scientifically, 
uh, you know how much plant, uh, how much water the plant will need in the current stage. Doing that, you minimize the water consumption. Now, if you look at Germany, uh, we had droughts for the last three years, so water was very scarce, and now and again you would have heavy rain. Now, if there's heavy rain, of course, it's not, no, no secret you don't have to water. But the moment it gets dry, it's very important that you optimize your water consumption. And if you don't do that uh, based on satellite pictures and, and other sensor data, um, then you will just water a little more just to help. You increase water consumption with no net benefit for your crop. Yeah. Again, one of the, the parts where digitization helps a lot in, in being more efficient. Same is for fertilizer. If you know which part of the field has which properties, then you know which fertilizer is needed for which seed in which part of the field. So you have really uh, uh, specific parts of the field which can be treated differently. And with today's uh, equipment, you can actually manage that. And that's where smart farming, digital farming, all these expressions come from. So given the technology that we have today, given the speed with which new sensors, which provide new information are available. There's so many applications that you can think of that help you optimize your production in agriculture, that you really can combine being sustainable and being more efficient plus optimizing your cost position. And that is one of the things that is a key driver for me if you look at how agriculture will develop in future. It's a very interesting example. Uh, thanks as well for picking agriculture because agriculture is something that we really didn't talk about in this podcast yet. So, um, but how do you? So, what I'm interested in is how do you pick up basically requests? You know, and and basically, you know, when 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 things are coming from the business uh, from the business areas or whatever, you know, from the business uh, different business units, right? Requests in regards to okay, look, we have. We have this and this technology, for example, right? Or we have this use case, for example. We want to do something, and they turn to you, obviously, you know, in, in order you, uh, for you to help them. How do you process basically this incoming stream of, let's say, ideas, you know, or proposals or whatever? How do you make sure that you, basically, with your team, are able to kind of, you know, first take these requests in, how, and 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 also deliver them, basically, and help? Well, um, again, I think it's important that you understand the general idea where business is heading to. Right. So you need to understand the requirements of the business. Um, next, you need to have a basic understanding of technology, be it software, be it hardware. Um, and in that case, because you have multiple uh, specialists that you need to combine, and this is one of the core uh, challenges that you have, if you want to come up with a new business model, even if it sounds simple, you will need many specialists. You will need different technologies. You will need different skills. You will need to be able to have something which is more cost effective. In a sense, um, you want if you if you want to sell something, it has to have a benefit for the one buying it. Now, if you have a benefit for someone, that does not mean that it's a business model because you need to earn more turnover than you have costs. And this is one of the key challenges that you have uh, today, because any new technology is first of all new, which means it's not cost efficient because it's brand new. Um, and therefore, uh, even though we have lots of sensors and lots of potential capabilities, it's not clear that you can automatically make a business model out of it. 
And this is where I think uh, brainstorming, design thinking, all these technologies help in scanning the potentials, in scanning the room you have for solutions, um, in, in scanning ideas which are around and challenging that from different angles. Is it a business model? Is it interesting to the consumer? Is it interesting to the farmer? Is it uh, too cost, uh, costly to make it happen? Uh, is the software uh, existing? Would it be something that is part of network and so on? There are plenty of questions that you need to ask. Um, and uh, then you will sort out and, and define which are the top uh, ideas that you would try in a POC or anything like that. Um, interesting. So maybe let's 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 take one of these, uh, you know, one of these technologies. And obviously, I have a particular one because uh, I personally believe that, and uh, I've done a lot in that, and also come from that background. Like, so I come from a uh, from an analytics data science background, and uh, I've been doing a lot in there. So uh, obviously, um, you know, the word artificial intelligence on in how many cases it is being misused, but um, and however you want to define it. But um, so, I mean, it is obvious, uh, I guess, on, on that, you know, a, lo a lot of things are happening there uh, on the enterprise level, you know, many organizations doing uh, really, let's say, um, crucial decisions in regards to their uh, uh, corporate strategy, etc. And then also uh, on all other levels, on the research level, government level, whatever it is, it's really a lot happening there. So, mm -hmm. and, and that's why um, first, I want to kind of, uh, first part of my question, I want to kind of get your personal opinion on, 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 on the technology itself. Uh, what's your personal sentiment towards it? And then B, with the follow-up, to dive into how do you at Biva basically pick it up? What's your kind of, you know, way of dealing with it? Well, that, that, that is a very hot topic for us. Uh, therefore, thanks for the question. Um, if you look at AI, as you said, first of all, you need to define what you understand uh, as being AI. Um, secondly, I think one of the key questions that you have before dealing with that is, do I have the re relevant data? Exactly. And talk about data lake or whatever. You need lots of data. You need high quality data. You need relevant data. Only then you can start basically doing statistics or uh, whatever you want to do. I have a very simple example where uh, you would use an algorithm. Um, you can take a photo of an apple. Not spectacular, you can do that very easily. Um, but this photo can be like a photo ID of that apple. Now we tried, can I recognize that apple amongst a couple of other apples? So we took a dozen apples, we took a picture, we uh, had an algorithm, and then uh, we uh, stuck um, uh, number on the bottom of that apple and then you could just take a picture of that apple again and you would see where they would be detected again yeah. sounds like a very simple application but if you think that there's uh, hundreds of millions of apples it gets quite challenging <laughs> but just for the, the sake of the argument i don't think this is a business model anyway but if you look at the idea of taking a picture of an individual apple that could help you optimize your production because if you want to eat an apple, you need to know that two of them have grown. Therefore, 50% of the apples get used, thrown away for other purposes, whatever, uh, along the way. But any apple that needs to be uh, handled costs money. Now, if you have a 
50% of the apples and uh, you could reduce the time they need to be handled by 50%, you would uh, reduce a lot of variable costs. Yeah. And that would help you be more efficient. It would be more uh, ecologically uh, sustainable um, and everyone would have a benefit from that. Yeah. Um, and this could be supported if you had such a picture by detecting which type of apple uh, behaves which way in a sense of when can I detect the earliest that this apple won't make it. Yeah. That would be one of the typical examples where I think uh, not that that it makes sense to have hundreds of millions of apple pictures in the cloud and trying to recognize which apple it is. Therefore, I don't think it is a business model. But uh, from from a technology perspective, that would be something that you could easily do. Yeah. So um, what we did internally, we we had workshops and saying where could we make use of AI, and uh, we came up with like twenty different topics immediately. They came from IT because there you understand what AI is. They also came from business once they understood what type of solution you can think of. Yeah. Um, and and. We are following up some of these, uh, but it's always challenging. Do we have the data? Yeah, it's not yeah. always does AI work. It's do we have the data? Um, and, and therefore, I think there's a lot of homework which needs to be done uh, if you really want to make it work, if you really want to come up with a feasible business model with it. Yeah. So it's a technology I'm, I'm sure uh, is come to stay. Um, Moore's law has not been abided, so uh, computation power will increase. Therefore, AI will get cheaper and cheaper. Therefore, you can will get away with less and less data. Uh, with not that good data, um, I think that will will over time will increase and and just become a standard tool that basically is is included in whatever type. It may be just simple statistics where you wouldn't really call it AI, up to machine learning and so on. Uh, so. Uh, it, it will just be, it has come to stay. Right. Um, so, I mean, uh, how, how do you approach basically, um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, that, you know, data kind of, that is obviously one of the classical issues, you know, that you obviously, you need to have the data in order to actually do something, right? Because that's your driving force there. But ultimately, I mean, um, and I, the other thing with you as well, where I agree with you as well is, you know, um, yeah, oftentimes it's a black box, you know, you say you call it AI and then ultimately, I mean, you know, it's just a pair of uh, classical algorithms that you know from standard math. Um, so um, the, the, that, that's another one. Um, but I mean, ultimately there's, there's uh, you know, there's multiple things to that, right? So as well in regards to, let's say, um, the amounts of data, right? The, the amounts of computing power that you need, right? If you, if you look at you look at some of the let's say cutting edge things you know for example how much money is being spent in order to train a certain let's say uh, framework you know it's it's really there's a, a lot in there and uh, uh, how do you approach basically or how do you plan to approach um kind of building up knowledge and like kind of kind of building up the competence in, in ai for for Biva? well i think the first question that you need to answer is what's the benefit that we have Right. Um, and is this know-how a key driver of our business or yeah. is it the technology that we need to have? Mm -hmm. um, the question is important because if it is unique to our business, 
and this is what differentiates us from others, then it makes sense to develop that on our own. If it's not, if it's just something that helps us being more efficient, um, then I would rather buy that software and implement it as is. Yeah. So uh, that is one of the things. Um, Bivar does not have billions to spend on AI. We're not going to compete with Google and all these other companies in developing algorithms yeah. just because we can't afford it. Yeah. Personally, of course, I would like to be more involved, uh, but uh, I don't uh, I don't think we have the pocket money to just develop new algorithms. And therefore, pretty often, um, we will have a use case where we need something that is available, that we can adapt to our structures, that we can adapt to our needs. Um, but I'd rather have it off the shelf than trying to develop it. In that sense, we uh, uh, would rather say we are consumers of AI rather than developing it. However, if you want to make use of that, you need to have basic skills. You need to be able to train your model. You need to be able yeah. to understand whether it makes sense to train the model. Yeah. Um, and therefore, you do need in-house AI capabilities. But again, not in the sense of we start developing new algorithms and we try to compete with any of these big shots. Um, yeah. I think that's beyond our scope. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, uh, 100%. I, and I think um, that, that that will be my follow-up question is like, how do you, let's say, um, how do you make sure? Or what is your kind of your plan to, you know, to um, get more knowledge in regards to, you know, uh, these these different methods and then basically the approach. And for example, as well. Uh, which is really important if you have let's say you know if you get a more a, a bigger awareness inside the business in regards to the technology right more and more people will say like yeah uh, we have a we have a use case you know we have a use case for a machine learning right and then in most of the time so that's from my experience as well so in most of the times it's not really a use case where you know you would use any advanced methods from machine learning for example because it's just not categorized as that you know mm -hmm. how do you how do you so my question is more related to the to the approach of how do you uh, how do you want to make sure that you you grow the the necessary knowledge inside the company well first of all you need to have someone or a team that is uh, that is aware of what ai is mm -hmm. so you need to have the skills in house um, and then uh, if you take it from there I think you have uh, uh, two ends that you need to make meet. The first one is you have someone in-house who knows what AI is. Right. So he will come from a technology perspective and say, given that technology, I could think of this and that as an application. Um, on the other hand, you have business having certain needs or requirements, and they have certain things that they would like to have solved, some pain points. Yeah. Now, you bring these two together, and at the beginning, I think it's always very simple because no one really looked into that. So the moment you start talking together, you come up with ideas. You do brainstorming, you figure out this and that idea might be interesting. That sounds like a potential application. Uh, that is something I think could make sense. Um, this is something we do very often, so it would be nice to have a solution. That type of question. Yeah. Then having this idea, you will need to sort out whether if you look at it uh, more closely, does it still make sense? Does it sound feasible? Do you have the data? Is it something that uh, a customer would actually pay for? Or is it something that would optimize your processes to an extent that you really have a measurable effect? Uh, that type of question. Then, then you will start a POC. You will actually do a small prototype. You will see, does it work? 
uh, does it look promising? Is there something that we haven't thought of? Is it something that looks simple and easy, but if you really go into the details, is it much more complex and much more complicated? So we need to put in a lot more effort. Again, the question, does it still make sense? Maybe yes, maybe a no. So I think it's an iterative process um, where just if you look at the sheer number of potential applications, whether it's truly AI, as, as you said, let's put that aside, but uh, there's so many potential applications um, that you can think of. A very simple one that, that we tried. Um, you have a form that you need to fill in. Mm -hmm. That form is related to our agricultural processes. Yeah. Now, if you have the date and the user you already can select the priorities of your drop-down list. So if you have hundreds of products and you have a good chance of having the real, the, the proper product in the top five of your drop-down list, makes yeah. it a lot easier to select that product. Mm -hmm. Now, the more information you have of your form, the more reliable the algorithm will predict the other fields. Exactly. If you have a typical process, if there's a process, if there's a relation, of course, between the different fields. Um, and if you think along that line, uh, ultimately what you could maybe do is you could switch entering a form on a computer to entering on your smartphone. Because you don't want to have a, a drop down list of 100 and more entries on a smartphone where you can't even read the full length if you have it uh, upright. Yeah. Um, and therefore, I think that there's some very simple applications which are really um, not very spectacular, but which help you be more reliable, be more efficient, and that's a value in its own right. And for that, a pretty simple algorithm should be helpful. You will have lots of data because you have that transaction very often. And that would be a typical use case that no one will really notice, but the benefits are there. Yeah. Um. I 100% agree with you. Uh, that's um, that's uh, the the exact approach with, which I let's say which I observed at at, at most companies, uh, which is kind of you know going step by step and uh, and as well you know just ultimately it's not about the technology right and it's not about the buzzword or whatever it that is you know just to just that you do something right it, it's always about the business value right it's always what does it is it something that we need and it's is it really transform transformative to our business right to the way we make money because ultimately you know you are not just doing this for the sake of doing it you're doing it for the sake of improving your business right and growing your business so Absolutely. it's 100 100% agree there so maybe kind of as a as a closing remark here um as a, as a kind of a, a last question here today, um, what I want to know from you, or I, well, what I want to what I want to get out from you is more or less is um, give me give me some some sort of your personal outlook when it comes to let's say either from a Viva perspective, but more or less from your personal view in regards to you know what is, what is going to happen. So kind of you know in regards to technology and, and where the company is moving towards also in regards to Corona, maybe on a more societal level, like, you know, just, just, you know, the things that you have been thinking of, which you have kind of an opinion on, which what's your, you know, belief. Uh, yeah. Well, in, in that case, I definitely have to talk uh, and speak for myself and not for Baiva, <laughs> simply because I can't do that. Uh, and I would not even want to because it's not my role. Um, but what I strongly believe is that 
the speed with which technology develops will increase. It's an exponential function. I don't see that that will change. Therefore, uh, given the speed we are all at already, um, what I also expect is that networks will become more and more important. There's not the one being able to do each and everything. You will have specialists knowing this and that. Um, and if you combine that, if you combine different specialities, which are supplied by different uh, companies, uh, you get out more than the sum of the parts. And this is where I think uh, the development will go to. You have a specialist for that type of sensor. You have a specialist for that type of predictive model. You have a specialist for um, logistics. Uh, you have a specialist for uh, uh, being involved with customer interaction and so on. If you put all of these parts together, um, then you can come up with new business models. And what I also believe is it's not only the speed with which computing power will increase, it's also the speed with which applications will appear. So one of the challenges that you see in, in open source software, for example, is there's that many open source softwares, which one will survive? Yeah. Now, if you set up a business model and you want to have that for the next 10 years, but uh, your uh, open source software is not maintained for more than two years, you're down the drain, you can start again. Now, that is one of the real challenges. If you have more and more applications, which of them will actually survive? And you cannot invest, at least we can't invest, into new business models at full risk. Yeah. We just cannot, uh, we don't have uh, the pocket money to, to do all that. And therefore, uh, what you will have is these small startups, which will just try and check whether it works. And then either they succeed or they don't. And if they succeed, it's interesting to combine their specific know-how with our um, skills and put that into a new combination, into a new business model that will actually make it work. And I think this type of networking, of cooperation, uh, is one of the key drivers to being uh, more speedy in an ever-complex world. Thanks. Great to have you on the show, Tobias. Thanks for the last remark. It was uh, really a pleasure talking to you. My pleasure. Thank you.